Okay, are we ready to talk about Abraham Lincoln this morning? Yes, sir. <laughs> we, we keep saying we're done talking about the Civil War, but then we keep talking about the Civil War. But, <laughs> I mean, at, at the same time, I think there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about, and we did actually last time talk about the ends of the fighting of the Civil War, and we will get... It'll be happening, obviously, during today's episode with the movie Lincoln, but it's not what we're focusing on. We'll be focusing on, uh, as the film does, uh, Lincoln's fight to get the 13th Amendment passed. Yeah. Uh, real quick, the film itself, which we actually don't really need to talk about in too much detail because the real it's actually very accurate. We don't always get to say that, but this is one of our more accurate, or one of probably the most accurate films, uh, you could argue, that we've discussed, although obviously things get simplified to put on screen. But the film is a 89-81 on Rotten Tomatoes, nominated for a whopping 12 Oscars, uh, but winning just two of those, production design and our good friend DDL, Daniel Day-Lewis, for Best Actor as Abraham Lincoln. And man, what what a well-deserved Oscar for him. This performance was so awesome. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is the man, right? Like, yes. he he's the man anyway, but like... I feel like this one is like even elevated to maybe, man, I don't know. It's got to be at least top five, maybe top three DDL performances. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and I, I actually have never thought to rank him. This, this is his third of three wins. And it kind of puts him in rare territory where only Catherine Hepburn has more wins as an, an actor. And uh, he actually, I, I mean, I don't have to double check this. He might be be the only person to have three for lead or maybe that's what mm. ties him for, with Hepburn I know a lot of people with all these Oscar nominations and records and, and win records it they're not always for lead so the fact that all three of his wins are for lead uh it like I said it might just be him and Hepburn and even hers may be a couple of uh supporting I, I forget off the top of my head though so this is something that like should be obvious obviously everyone associates Abraham Lincoln with the Civil War. I'm guessing even if you're not from the United States, you associate Abraham Lincoln with the U.S. Civil War and the fight to end slavery. Like, everyone just kind of, it's just so ingrained in us. But I guess, in my mind, I mean, I, you, don't, you know he was president during the Civil War, but I guess I always kind of forget to the extent to which it's almost exactly one-to-one. -one. Like, his entire presidency was the entire Civil War within a, six weeks on either end. Right. And like a major, one of the major final straw moments for the Confederacy, a lot of those states, the final straw for the, for their secession was Lincoln getting elected. So it's like, right. His, his presidency spans the war and vice versa. The war spans his presidency. Yeah. And also he's like so entwined with the cause, with the way that the country feels a lot of it is like tied to Lincoln specifically. I mean, he is kind of the personification of the United States for the Civil War. Like if, if in one guy, it's Abraham Lincoln. And it makes you wonder so many things like, one, how would things have gone with a lesser president? Two, what if the South had never succeeded and just kind of grumbled? What then does Lincoln's presidency look like? And does he actually end up being remembered as a good or a bad president if there is no civil war? And I, I'm kind of asking that half rhetorically, but also maybe half something to give your thoughts on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, so if a lesser person gets elected, I I don't know that a civil war was necessarily avoidable. Like, 
I don't think you could compromise your way out of slavery. Right, which we've talked about before, yeah. Right, and even without Lincoln, that divide was still widening and had been widening for decades at that point. Over 100 years. Right. Because it was like, well, I guess at that point it was nearly 100 years. Because it was like, basically, since the founding of the country, slavery was like such a hot-button issue that everyone wanted to just kick the can down the road because it's like, man, if we ever try to like actually deal with this... It's going to be bad. Right. And that's where we get up to. This This is where the can was kicked to, ultimately. Right. And I think that maybe with, with a lesser leader, someone who doesn't have as much resolve to see not only the country stay unified, but also have that country be a free country with no slavery. Man, it's hard. To, it's hard to imagine anyone other than Lincoln actually being able to accomplish that. And like, it's hard to it's hard to think of a civil war that ends without the Confederacy being its own country with someone else other than Lincoln. Be- like, think about in the movie how much pushback he's getting, like how much moment or not, not momentum, how much force there is behind the idea of just a peaceful, quote unquote, peaceful resolution with the Confederacy, which you know for them would have had to mean either slavery stays a thing in America and we'll come back to America or we're going to be our own country. Right, right. And then fast forwarding that timeline to the present day, at some point, slavery still, I'm certain, you know, or want to be certain would have inevitably ended if that's 1910 or whatever else. Like, I think it still happens. But then by that point, you have two separate countries. And it's like, oh, why are they two separate countries? And it's like, oh, well, because the one wanted slavery for way longer and they fought about it or they almost fought about it and the one just succeeded. And there's all those different timelines. And then, yeah, I guess in, in that scenario, that, or sorry, and then the other scenario is let's say the Civil War is just delayed a decade. So it still happens, but Abraham Lincoln is now president of the United States, and the slavery issue is just just how it was in the 1830s as far as that goes. And it's just like kind of always there, but like I said, is Lincoln's presidency just a footnote? It's like, oh, this is he's like a polk, and he's just like, this is a guy who was president at this time, and... A couple things happened, but nothing too exciting, and we don't even remember his name. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know, because, like, a lot of people rightly associate Lincoln with, like, the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment and the way that the Civil War ended slavery, but a lot of that stuff, while he personally held, you know, an anti-slavery view, at the beginning, even at the beginning of the Civil War, after the Civil War had already started, he was not, like, outspoken about ending slavery. Right. He just wanted the country to be unified. So I don't know, maybe like political pressure, if it's not there from the Civil War, maybe he doesn't get as involved in the anti-slavery part of his presidency that he's known for today. Right. Or it's just the little things of, okay, hey, we're going to continue our, our our expansion west happens a little sooner. Some of these territories, maybe, yeah, he's a little strict. The fights are more about like, okay, we're just going to make sure... Honestly, it's all the Kansas Nebraska stuff, which is what got him on the national scene in the first place. And maybe how yeah. kind of that plays out with... Uh, you know, the fights over those things, even if they don't come to a civil war. So how we're going to break today's episode down here is I'm going to give kind of the rundown of Abraham Lincoln up through the beginning of the events in the film, essentially. And then Logan will, Logan will be talking about the assassination. Oh, spoiler alert, Lincoln is assassinated. <laughs> and, the, and the fight for the 13th Amendment. That's actually something, just before we stop talking about like the movie itself, that was something that I was kind of surprised. Well, I don't know. I understand why they didn't do it because it was already a two and a half hour movie. But like 
there's basically not like the assassination is just kind of like a little footnote at the end right before the credits and it's not even you don't even see it happen like they show another play right somewhere else and then the guy comes out and he's like the president's been shot right and like that's it that, that's the end of the movie but there's no like they don't they don't actually touch on the assassination at all which i i remember disliking when i first saw it in the theater that that seems like just a weird thing to tack on to the end and gloss over and not do justice but also the flip side is the entire film is set in january 1865 until they jump forward to this last little bit to throw on the thing there so it would actually be almost i don't know it's, it's almost like you didn't want to ignore it altogether, right but you also this was not the movie to do it in detail i don't think that was appropriate to this movie necessarily because you, if you're going to do that, that's the whole movie about the whole conspiracy, and you'd want to set it up. And, like, I almost feel like maybe that is the way to handle it, or cut it off completely, and just have it in the closing text. Right? It almost actually feels like, you know what it is? It's American Sniper. It's, uh, it, it feels like it's kind out, of. Of, out of place, and it's like, well, what, what, this, this doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. Yeah. But, but it really happened, so we're going to throw it on there. But then that's, I don't know, it's, it's so weird, though, because it's like, the whole movie, like, it's called Lincoln. So it's like... Right, but it's not a biopic. It's going to be... Right, it's like, oh, that's what I thought it was going to be when I first, mm. you know, when I was seeing posters right, and right. pictures of, like, Daniel Day-Lewis with the, you know, in costume and everything. It's like, oh, okay, it's a Lincoln biopic. But it's it's really not. Like, they call right. the movie Lincoln, but it's like, it's only about him getting the 13th Amendment pass. It has nothing to do with anything before that. And then it has nothing to do with, like, one of the most famous aspects of Lincoln's presidency, which is his assassination. Right. It has nothing to do with that. So it, it's like, yeah, it, it kind of seemed like they wanted to just like dip their toe in the assassination a little bit because it's like it's so famous. Right. But yeah, an, an alternative title almost could have been The 13th and just kind of call it like that's almost even maybe a better title. I don't know. Well, there what there is a uh, there's a Netflix documentary called I think it's just called 13th. Oh, okay. About the 13th Amendment. But man, I felt all clever and it's already a thing. <laughs> well, the documentary is about how the 13th Amendment has the what the filmmakers consider a loophole for slavery because it says no one can be a slave unless they're convicted of a crime. And so oh, like, and then it goes yeah. into the whole like prison industrial complex. Right. I yeah, I I thought that was interesting too. But anyway, so yeah, we'll get to that. Uh um, Sorry, sorry, let sorry. Me, let me uh <laughs> I just I just wanted to bring that up about how the movie like no, does right. the weird thing with the assassination at the end that I didn't that I didn't expect. Yeah, that 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 is is it is a bit odd. Okay, so who Abraham Lincoln was. So again, we kind of know the stories of the poor kid in the log cabin kind of thing. And it's and that's not and that's not too far off. So yeah, he was born to a poor family on the frontier. Obviously, the frontier at that time, as we've talked about, was like, you know, just barely west of Appalachia. But uh, yeah, it was like the frontier, like my grandpa was killed by Indians kind of frontier. So he's born, he's born in Kentucky. Uh, the family moved to Indiana when he was little. And obviously, yeah, life life out here is, is pretty rough. His mom dies when he is nine from milk poisoning, which I looked that up. And my understanding is it basically means you drink milk bad milk from a cow where the cow has eaten like some poison plant and now its milk is poisonous and his mom died from drinking milk from a cow that had basically gotten into the wrong stuff so that sucks and then Abe was actually kind of considered lazy as a kid but because he preferred to stay inside reading and writing instead of doing actual frontier work so 
his reputation as a kid was like, ah, yeah, this Abe kid, what are we going to do with him? He doesn't want to do anything. It's like, well, yeah, because he's trying to learn instead of, you know, do manual labor. But uh, despite being bookish, he also was still very strong and athletic and was even his county's wrestling champion when he was 21 years old, which I thought was interesting. And then, of course, you always think of of uh, Fight Club, and they ask what, what historical figure would you do fight, and one of them says Lincoln. It's like, yeah, oh yeah. Well, doesn't he say because he's like he's lanky and he would have like a good reach? Well, specifically to my memory, it's, uh, he says uh, because skinny guys fight until they're burger. That's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he he is kind of a he he's like a tall lanky guy, so yeah. he'd have a good reach, and he's a wrestler. He's almost like a he's almost like John Jones. I that's lost that reference is lost on me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just for the for the audience, we are recording this the night after uh UFC two eighty five where John Jones came back after three years on hiatus and just won the uh the UFC heavyweight title. Cool, cool. All of that is new information to me. <laughs> He's just a tall a tall long okay. guy yeah, 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 who's yeah. also a really good wrestler. Gotcha. Nice, nice. Anyways. <laughs> so yeah, about that same time when he was in his early twenties, the family moved to Illinois. But Abe kind of branched out on his own, and his dad had remarried, and so Abe kind of is, you know, uh, doing everything, doing adulthood for his first time, uh, for the first time in Illinois here. He worked a little bit, uh, helping transport goods along, up like up and down the Mississippi River, which when he would go south, that's kind of what exposed him to slavery for the first time, because he hadn't really seen it up in Indiana, obviously. Uh, in Springfield, Illinois, is uh, in 1839 is when he met Mary Todd. They had four sons together. But only the eldest survived past his teens, and who's played by our boy Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the film. They mentioned in the film uh, Willie having died three years earlier, and that's correct. Their son Willie died of a fever while Lincoln was in office. But their second son, Eddie, had also died in 1850 at just like three or four years of, uh, of age, probably of tuberculosis. And then the other son, Tad, who we see in the film, he dies just six years after his father yeah at the age of 18 so again uh robert the oldest was the only one who lived to adulthood there yeah and uh looking back abe is actually thought to have probably suffered from clinical depression uh just kind of putting a modern lens to things we know about him his wife's reputation for being crazy is honestly probably just simply due to all the grief she underwent so i think she did spend some time um institutionalized but i think it's just because she couldn't handle losing two sons and her husband and you know, at that time that we kind of put the historical label on someone who was, yeah, just couldn't handle all this grief. So she wasn't necessarily crazy uh, beyond that, that, you know, by anything I could find. And I think they do a good job of that in the film, where she's very passionate, very intelligent, and you can tell maybe she's just on the verge of losing it, and I don't mean go crazy, but of just, like, going off on whoever's around. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before he met his wife in his early 20s, uh, Abe worked in a general store, he unsuccessfully ran for local office. He did serve as a captain with the Illinois militia when the uh, Black Hawk tribe attacked the area in the 1830s. And he was kind of just disaffected and unsure what to do. He was, again, he was this bright guy who just really didn't know what he wanted to do. But he was always kind of engaged with what was going on around him. So he decided to become a lawyer and didn't go to law school. Again, famously self-taught, just read all the books and studied on his own, took the bar, like just did everything he needed to do without getting the formal education. Just was a was good enough to do it on his own. Actually, to what extent is that a thing today? Can I just take the bar if yes. I study on my own today? Still, yep. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's, 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 
That's essentially what Lincoln did. I mean, you, you can, like... You shouldn't. You probably won't pass. Right, but like, yeah, okay. You can just go take the bar if you want to, yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, Abe did that and, and just passed it, which is probably more common back then, of course. He did get elected to the Illinois State Legislature and then did get elected to uh, as a House Rep for Illinois in D.C. on his second try uh, after losing his first run at it. Uh, when we get to the American uh, Mexican-American War, he was an, a outspoken opponent against that. We've talked about how Polk used that border dispute in Texas to almost kind of like go to war on purpose to kind of use it as a land grab and say the Mexicans invaded us first because of this disputed territory in Texas. Lincoln openly saw right through that. It was basically in Congress saying like, President Polk needs to pull out a map and show us exactly where this happened. And it was just like, it, so it wasn't like everybody was on board with what Polk was doing and Lincoln would have been someone right. on the opposite side. Yeah, outside of his, you know, his brief stints in politics here, he was just a working lawyer. He tried nearly 200 cases before the Illinois Supreme Court, and it was during his time as a trial lawyer here that he earned his nickname Honest Abe. So how many lawyers in history do you think earned the nickname Honest <laughs> while working as a lawyer? And it was, and it was sincere. This was a guy who was like very principled and wouldn't do all right. the dirty tricks that lawyers are known to do. And so like these other lawyers and everyone around is calling him Honest Abe. So that's a pretty good reputation to get. So when we get to the Kansas-Nebraska Act that we've discussed in past episodes, he was just disgusted by it. It was pioneered by his fellow Illinoisan, Stephen Douglas. And this is what gets Lincoln back into politics. He served just one, one term in the U.S. House, was working as a lawyer, and the Kansas-Nebraska Act and Stephen Douglas are like, what fire him back up and says, like, I got to say something. So he's, that's what gets him into these debates with Douglas. So he had, he had been a Whig, a uh, member of the Whig Party. The slavery issue is essentially what ended the Whig Party because the party itself was split on the issue. It basically couldn't survive anymore. And then you have the Republican Party, brand newly formed, largely from anti-slavery Whigs plus other anti-slave people that kind of joined up. So it was kind of established as an anti-slavery party, not an abolitionist party, but a decidedly anti-slavery party. And so now Lincoln is running for Senate against Stephen Douglas, and we get the famed Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858. Seven debates, very public, got national attention. Douglas ultimately did win re-election. But this whole campaign and these debates are what made Lincoln a nationally recognized name and an outspoken anti-slavery uh, advocate. Although he was technically still a moderate as far as the anti-slavery side of people went. He was definitely not an abolitionist zealot like a John Brown. And again, wasn't technically an abolitionist. He was an anti-slavery opponent, which the film itself even kind of does touch on that distinction uh, at times, where it's like, there's anti-slavery, and then there's abolitionist, and right. we, we see those as the same thing. In the 1850s, 1860s, those were different. They, they were, they were, yeah. maybe, they were on the same spectrum, but they were different. So yeah, so the debates were 1858, just two years before the 1860 presidential election. And so what's crazy is, you don't, because this would never, you know, I feel like this wouldn't happen today. So you have someone who's basically served just like a term in the House, and then unsuccessfully runs for Senate. And now he's running for president in 1860. It's actually, it'd almost be like if Beto O'Rourke got elected president uh, last time around. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, as far as notoriety goes, like, and, and level of experience. Yeah. 
So Lincoln quickly becomes the poster boy for the new Republican Party. Because on paper, he is kind of the perfect candidate. He's an honest frontier lawyer. And like, that's just a great narrative for a politician. Right. And Lincoln really didn't even have to campaign. The new party just did all the groundwork for him. The party was going around. They decided he was their guy. And it worked. So there was four different men who received electoral votes. But Lincoln, because he got basically all of the North and California and stuff, was able to get more than the 50% of the electoral votes he needed. So even though those four guys got electoral votes, Lincoln still did get that 50% mark. Uh, so he secures the presidency. But he got only about 40% of the popular vote because he was, was so unpopular in the South. So today, you see, like every state is kind of between that 30 to 60%. Basically, no matter how popular or unpopular you are in a state, you never get less than 30 or more than 60%, it seems like, in a state. Yeah, I, I didn't see the percentages, but I'm guessing Lincoln probably got like 10% in the South. Because <laughs> at some point, how are you only getting 40% of the popular vote and still getting 50% of the electoral votes? Yeah, which is why... The Electoral College is dumb. Electoral College yeah. is bullshit, right? and we should get rid of it, and it's dumb because even though the circumstances under which it would happen would, would be very, very unlikely and ridiculous, there is a way where you can get... It's like, it's some like ungodly small percentage like 20 or 30 something percent 19 it's 19 percent it's, it's, it's okay 19 percent i i didn't I, I didn't know the exact math but I, I knew it was like a really small percentage cgp cgp gray did the math yeah okay where you can yeah it's like a very you can get a very small percentage of the popular vote basically if you win 51 percent of the popular vote in like these certain number of states that would equal 19 percent of the population of the country but you would have over half of the electoral votes, and you could be elected president with 19%. Basically, right. over 80% of the country does not want you to be president. Right. And you are. Yeah. And it sounds crazy, but basically that means you're getting, in the states you don't win, you're getting zero votes. And in the states right. you do win, you're getting one more vote than 50% to, right. to get all the electoral votes. And you do it in the smallest states, so that that 51% is of the fewest amount of people. Because those right. are worth a, again, because the electoral college is a bunch of crap, those states are worth more per person. Right. So, yeah. 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 So, like, for, like, for people in, like, people in Wyoming, their votes actually count more than, like, a person living in a bigger state like Texas. Um, a lot more, yes. Uh, like, uh, way, way more. Like, percentage, way more. And uh, now, okay, so, side note, though, real quick, as, as much as I don't disagree with that, and as much as the people I tend to vote for would would be helped by getting rid of it. That's actually not high on my priority list. I it does go back to the whole and this is this is a tangent from Abraham Lincoln, obviously. But uh I feel like there are bigger fish to fry and it Yeah, open primaries and rank choice voting. Exactly. Are like the two biggest exactly. Ones. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. Yeah, I don't necessarily need to go deeper dive than that. But yeah, it's essentially the idea is like we are the United States of America, and if you are going to have a system where the states do matter as independent entities, you have a two-person Senate per state. And so I actually don't mind the existence of the Electoral College if we are okay with recognizing that, if we fixed everything else, and it would be less of a problem anyway. But yeah, yeah I agree it's weird and probably antiquated, but I'm okay with keeping it if we fix these other things. Yeah, anyway, tangent over. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we've discussed in the past, because Lincoln was the presidency, and he is the poster boy for this new anti-slavery party, the Republican Party. 
even though Lincoln himself is actually fairly moderate, I think just any Republican candidate who won was going to cause the South to succeed, which they do. Something that doesn't get mentioned very often, and probably just because it failed and was never going to pass, but the South, after Lincoln's election, basically threw out, they threw out a proposal, we we're willing to stay, we won't succeed, we won't secede from, the, I keep saying succeed instead of secede, it's very tricky for my <laughs> brain to, to, to keep those two separate. So, we'll stay, even with this Lincoln guy, if we amend the Constitution to enshrine slavery as protected. And obviously, the North is like, uh, no, that's that's not happening. Okay, then we're out. So it's usually skipped over because it didn't pass, wasn't ever going to pass. But I just I had never heard that before that or had forgotten that that was uh, that was something proposed, but quickly thrown out. And the threat of assassination towards this newly elected President Lincoln was there from the beginning. He was given more security on his trip to D.C. to take the presidency. And he even arrived in the Capitol in disguise to further protect him, which I had never heard either. And Lincoln sincerely believed, and we're going to start getting into probably your territory here, but uh, Lincoln sincerely believed that the South's fears were unfounded. Yes, he was anti-slavery, but he wasn't an abolitionist, as we keep saying. He was just against expanding slavery into any new territories or states. And again, we've talked about that distinction before. Yeah, we don't need to rehash the whole Civil War because we've already kind of talked about all that. Um, Lincoln was, though, obviously the commander-in-chief during said Civil War. The Emancipation Proclamation that's kind of come up in previous episodes and was from January of 1863 was primarily a war tactic. So as much as people look back and Lincoln is so awesome, he did the Emancipation Proclamation. It's like, yeah, he wasn't doing that with slaves in mind. He was doing that with winning the Civil War in mind. Those are very uh, important distinctions. Also, that the Emancipation Proclamation did nothing for the slaves that were in slave states that were still part of the Union. Correct. So, like, Correct. there were like Maryland was still a slave state. Kentucky, I think, is also a state a slave state that did not did not leave. Right. Yeah. This the slaves that were still in the Union were still slaves even after the Emancipation Emancipation Proclamation went out. Right. It was a war tactic. Yes, first yeah. and foremost. And that's actually, I think, probably the best scene in the movie is that scene. It's like a long, like one, I think it's maybe one take or not one take. Yeah, like one shot monologue of Lincoln talking about the mental gymnastics of the mm, whole yes. Emancipation Proclamation. He's like, so am I saying that they're property because I'm, you know, because I'm saying that, that we can confiscate them as part of the war? But I don't think that. But in order for me to free them, I have to think that. Right. And he said, but I also, like, we're confiscating the property of an, another nation that we're at war with. Like, that's the only way that I constitutionally can have that power. But then I'm also agreeing that the Confederacy is its own country. But I don't believe that either because there's a states in rebellion. And then that means that I'm stepping over the laws of the states. Right. Which I don't want to do. And so it's like this whole thing that's like, man, I think that's the best scene in the whole movie. It is good, yeah. Just because of like the way that it makes you think, and also DDL's performance, obviously. Well, right. But just how that would have been what was the the sticking point at the time, both at the time right. of 1865 when they're debating the 13th Amendment, but also in 1863 when they passed the Emancipation, yeah, Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation. But the, yeah, it's like, is he even allowed to do this? It's like, who knows? Do it and figure it out later. Right. Well, and that was like one of the reasons why he was like so hardcore about getting the 13th Amendment passed is because he's like, 
I don't know if this is going to hold up. Right. The Supreme Court. Right. It's probably going to get thrown out by the Supreme Court. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and it's like, and then what? Like after, like, let's say that we do have, you know, a, an end to the war. It's like without this amendment, what happens to those slaves? Are they free because I freed them during the Emancipation Proclamation? Or do they just go back to be slaves? We don't we don't know. It's like it was all a hundred percent uncharted territory. There was like no no legal framework at all to deal with that question. Right. And I guess one thing they don't talk about, and I don't know the answer either, is like what had happened in other countries. Like what happened in Europe and other places when or even in Canada, like when slaves had been freed in the past. Like, I guess I don't know how those countries navigated it or why those things weren't being explored as potential models for the U.S. I, I, I just thinking about this just now, so I didn't look into it at all. Yeah, I'm not sure. So heading into 1864, the, the re-election campaign, again, they had the re-election campaign during the Civil War. Of course, you had several states that probably didn't plan on voting. Lincoln was actually nervous about his chances, and I'm not even exactly sure why. I think maybe he thought he would maybe lose out to another northern candidate. Obviously, he didn't think he was going to lose to, or I mean, this, this, I mean, yeah, the, the South wasn't even participating in the election. You're talking about the 1864 election? Yeah, yeah. He was running against General McClellan, who was formerly the commander of the Army of the Potomac. So that was oh, the okay. Democrat that was running against him. Okay. And he was very much... Like, hey, if you elect me, I'll make peace with the South and we'll get the war over and we'll end the war and we can be done with the Civil War. And Lincoln was too principled and he wanted to stick with the slavery thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But the country at that time was like very war weary, especially because at that point it was like basically the, the war was at a stalemate. And so it was like, you know, we're losing like thousands of dudes every month for what? Like this war, are we just going to do this war forever? Like, no, well, let's... All right, like maybe if we elect, get rid of Lincoln, gotcha, and we get somebody new in office, because Lincoln was at that time was almost like being seen as like this warmonger, like oh you just wanted you just want to keep the war going, you just want to destroy the South, you just want to keep the war going no matter the cost. But then it was actually Sherman's victory in Atlanta that That's gave right. him. I think you mentioned that last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gave him and the country this kind of boosted morale. Like oh, okay, actually we are making momentum, we are making progress. We can end the war on on northern terms, and okay, so then yeah. after after that news came out that Sherman was victorious in Atlanta, then Lincoln got this like massive bump in popularity and ended up like just destroying McClellan at the at the polls. Okay, and I had I had forgotten all that and just wrote that the Democratic Party was too fractured, which is true, and we see that in the film, but. That was secondary to the, like you're saying, with the war stuff. Yeah. And then just, just I threw this tidbit in here just as something that like highlights the extent to which we always just get the glossed over, simplified black and white version of events after the fact. But like one little detail is like, oh, well, at one point Lincoln sent captured Confederate POWs out to fight against Native Americans who were causing trouble in a completely unrelated conflict. And it's just like... It's it's it, I mean, it's irrelevant to what we're talking about here today, but I, I just kind of wanted to mention it to show real life always has a million things going on that don't make sense to the overall quote plot. Right. So yeah, I just thought that was crazy to think about. So Lincoln's first vice president in 1860 uh, was Hannibal Hamlin, who they wanted to bounce the ticket. Uh, he was a former. Democrat from Maine. So they saw that as a way to balance the anti-slavery frontier guy. So they replaced him in 1864. 
and I couldn't find a single thing against Hamlin. It was, there was no, there was nothing against Hamlin. It was just, it seems to be purely just a tactical move. We are worried about the war weary country not wanting to reelect Lincoln. So they chose Andrew John, uh, sorry, Andrew, wait, Johnson. I wrote, I wrote Andrew Jackson. Obviously, it's oh. Andrew Johnson. <laughs> um, so I was like, wait, wait, what? Okay. So Andrew Johnson, who was a, not a former Democrat. He was a Democrat. And like, yeah. so is this the only time in history that the president actually selected a running mate from the other party? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you think about the whole team of rivals thing with Lincoln and it kind of fits. Now, again, so he's a war Democrat, which I'm going to explain exactly what, I mean, okay, that was self-explanatory, but I will explain it later. So they chose him to balance the ticket and kind of help maybe some, get some of those people who are, you know, worried about how, like, remember, there's like, people like, places like Maryland is, are, are a good thing to bring up. They like, there's people who wanted the South to be treated fairly, however this kind of whole thing would shake out. And so having an right. Andrew Johnson on the ticket does kind of help maybe ameliorate the fears for some of those people who are still fighting on the behalf of the Union, but also don't hate the South. And you need those sure. votes. Yeah, so the, the two key factions on, on the Democrats were the War Democrats and the Copperheads, which are basically just the Peace Democrats. And some of this is, again, probably self-explanatory. So uh, the War Democrats were simply Democrats who thought the South was in the wrong completely to succeed, succeed, and they were in favor of harsh treatment, you know, very, definitely seeing them as kind of more the traitor sides, even if, you know, policy-wise, before the war, they were maybe in, li- in, in line. The Copperheads were against the war, and they may not have agreed with secession, but they didn't blame the South for seceding. They blamed the abolitionists for driving them away. And so that's a very uh, important distinction between the two camps of, of Democrats there. And the, the Copperheads then were willing to make all kinds of concessions to end the war that the war Democrats were not. And that's exactly what we see in the film when you kind of you can tell the House is divided with the Republicans and the Democrats. But the, the, the Democrats are definitely very fractured. And they don't think they actually use the terms Copperhead or War Democrats or anything like that in the film. Yeah. But that's why those parties are so distinct. Well, there was even fracturing in the Republican Party, too, because you exactly. had the abolitionists. Exactly. Um, and then you also had what they called the conservative Republicans that were like, they were still anti-slavery, but they were not abolitionists. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then the far extreme of that is, you know, the like a Thaddeus Stevens that is being accused of thinking, not only is he an abolitionist, he thinks they're equal to us. Right. And he wants women to vote. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we can get to all that kind of stuff later, uh, a little bit here, too. So all of that is Abraham Lincoln up to the point. It's now he's been reelected. It's beginning of his... Actually, probably even hadn't been, I don't think he should only get re-sworn in again, but he, he wouldn't have had his second inaugural yet kind of thing yet. So we're in January of 1865, and the whole point of this whole movie is Lincoln's fight to get the 13th Amendment passed, and Logan's going to take it from there. Yeah, so the movie actually does a really good job. Surprise, surprise, uh, Steven Spielberg directing Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. <laughs> But it's I, I, when I say they do a good job, I mean it's also accurate. Uh, not only is it a, a well crafted film, it's also accurate to the uh, events for like ninety plus percent probably. So one thing that they do a good job in the movie of showing is kind of the ways that Lincoln had been trying to deal with the 
uh, slavery issue up to that point in his presidency. So we talked a little bit about the Emancipation Proclamation, but that was only in effect in the southern states, or sorry, not even just the southern states, in the Confederacy, in the states that were in rebellion, which essentially meant that it was not it was not in effect at all unless the Union controlled that area of the state. So it was a little bit toothless as far as what was going to happen after the war was over. In uh, December of 1862, Lincoln did propose a, a plan to get rid of slavery in his State of the Union address that called for the gradual emancipation and deportation, uh, that's a quote, of slaves. And in that speech, he mentions there would be a constitutional amendment that would require all states to abolish slavery by the year 1900. Mm. Another kick the can. Another kicking of the can, but this one would actually, I mean... Have a date This with one's it. kind of, it's, it's like a kick of the can, but it is still trying to be hard, but also lenient. Like, hey, we're getting rid of slavery. In a generation or more, yeah, yeah. Right. It's going to be outlawed by the Constitution, but South... If you, like, get on board with this, you can have slavery for the next, you know, 35 years, and that way it gives you some time to, like, adjust your society, adjust your economy, adjust to not having slavery first instead of, we're going to just take your slaves right now. But even that was asking too much, and it, you know, obviously there were no, there was not, there was not going to be any uh, support for that. And that was all the way back in 1862, so this is, like... Mm. towards the beginning of the war. In December of 1863, uh, he issued a proclamation called the Proclamation for Amnesty and Reconstruction, which was another kind of olive branch reaching out to the South. He said that Southern states could rejoin the Union if they abolished slavery and collected what's called loyalty oaths from 10% of their population. But again, that that was rebuffed by the South. The idea of the 13th Amendment, it had been kind of kicked around by various congressmen for a while. Um, And actually, the initial language was a lot more abolitionist and did call for equality and stuff like that in in the actual amendment itself. Oh, wow. Um, But then just as as part of trying to get it to be the most passable version of the amendment, um, it ended up in its in its current form, uh, which actually, why don't we just read it? So that yeah, it's not very long. It's it's literally two sentences. So section one: neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall be shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And then section two: Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. That's it. And that's the entirety of the Thirteenth Amendment. That's the entire Thirteenth Amendment. Yep. Which. Like we talked about before, which I, I won't go into, because, mostly because I didn't do research on it, but maybe we can address it at a, at a later time and date. But that little exception in there, except yeah. as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, that is a thing that's seen as a loophole by certain activists, specifically activists against the quote-unquote prison industrial complex. So basically, they say that in the United States, slavery still exists because you could just convict someone and put them in prison for a long time for something bogus like a drug possession, and then you can have a corporation that profits off of their labor, which essentially makes them a slave, 
just because you convicted them of no some... right so it, it is it, it that that language has never been rectified like it's it's still that, that is still that's the, still it, that's still the, the, okay that's still the amendment that's in that's in force yeah which is crazy because obviously yeah the government would never want to admit that the these people are slaves but uh if they're not calling them that i mean i mean by definition i mean right unpaid forced labor is uh the very definition of slavery right but you're right it's not illegal under the current constitution right but no one wants to talk about it 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 kind of makes it make sense when you think about like well if all of these laws that we have for you know like drug possession and stuff if all those laws are like pretty unpopular why is it so hard to get rid of them and it's well that's why because there are people that make a lot of money by having more people in prison. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I said, we can maybe do like well, we've ha- talked about traffic and stuff in, on on our uh, world history timeline, and that would definitely get yeah. into uh, things like that for sure. We've talked about the war on drugs before. We can address address that in in more uh, in more detail and with some maybe some better thought out thoughts on a later episode. But yeah, so the uh, amendment was passed by the House. On January 31st, 1865, which is the one that we see in the movie where everyone votes and then they're cheering well, and no, stuff. Right, right. The Senate had passed it the previous fall, though, I was thinking. Yeah, the Senate passed it uh, in April of 1864. Oh, wow. That's a long time before. Okay, yeah. I guess it, it, it uh, yeah, because it wasn't even in the Senate for very long. And then it was passed by the House January 31st, 1865. The required number of states, so there, at the time there were 36 states, including the ones in rebellion. 27 of them needed to ratify it in order for it to become law and that happened on december 6th of 1865 and the reason that's they talk about in the film but it's almost like they kind of felt comfortable with that they already had the senate they felt comfortable the state's numbers would be good the the house was going to be the toughest fight right yep yeah so the first state to ratify the amendment was abraham lincoln's home state of illinois nice they did so the very next day. So January 31st, it passes the House. Illinois ratified it February 1st, 1865. Oh, wow. So it still took until December. It wasn't like they had a meeting later. It's like they took them that long to actually get around to doing it. What do you mean? We said it was December, I thought, before the, the, the it finally passed all the states. So it took almost a year to get everybody to sign on. Oh, right. Yeah. So the, the, 27th, the 27th state was December of 1865, and that was Georgia. Right. Which was obviously a, a, one of the states from the Confederacy. So our home state of Kansas was number 10. So they uh, ratified it just a week later on February 7th of 1865. Of the 36 states, there were three that initially rejected the ratification of the amendment. Or sorry, four. New Jersey, Delaware, Kentucky, and Mississippi. They all eventually did ratify. So New Jersey ended up ratifying uh, the 13th Amendment in January of 1866. Delaware ratified it after rejection in 1901, Kentucky in 1976. And the crazy thing is, Mississippi voted to ratify the 13th Amendment in March of 1995, but then it was never certified. And it wasn't until after the movie Lincoln came out and somebody in the state government saw that movie and was like, hey, we voted on that. That never got certified. Let's try and make that happen. And so the movie Lincoln actually came out before Mississippi, 
actually certified the ratification of the amendment, which happened in February of 2013. I guess I never thought about that. So you only need X number to pass, but then once it's passed, now there's a bunch of states that have a constitutional amendment that they have to abide by that they have not yet signed on for, but then they do then decades later or century later because they can't account it public pressure or whatever. That's, that's, That's insane. Yeah. February of 2013. So the movie... The movie Lincoln, when it came out, not all of the states that had that ratified that ended up ratifying the amendment had ratified it at that time, which to me I thought was crazy. Do uh, just because my brain went there, so do states that joined the union later? Did they even have the option, or is it just no. irrelevant? Okay, no, nope. they're not even allowed to. Okay, okay, it only goes to ratification in the states that are states at the time, okay. right? At the time, so like my current home state of Arizona at the time was just a territory right so it, it there was no there was no yeah ratification for yeah that. so it's not like all 50 states have since ratified it because there wasn't 50 states at the time yeah okay right it only goes to ratification in the states that are currently in in the union okay. at the time okay because if you think about it that could like legally that could open up a whole can of worms where it's like oh you need three quarters oh. of the states to ratify and it's like yeah well we have seven states right now they all ratify, but then if we get seven more and they all don't, does that just not, is that law just canceled now? Gotcha, gotcha. And the answer is no, yeah. it is not. The, right. Everything's grandfathered in with the previous percentages. Yes. Okay. Huh. Exactly. Um, so as far as the fight in the house itself, is that pretty much what we see in the film? Like, Yeah, so the, well, there's actually a, a few things. A lot of the fight was they didn't want to further enrage the South with the Emancipation Proclamation and basically like... We just want to end the war more than we want to eliminate slavery, which is what the whole sticking point of this whole movie is. Right. And they saw that like the uh, the view of a lot of the people that were against the amendment was if we have this amendment saying that slavery is illegal, that that's just going to make the South fight even harder because now there's... Even if they... If we get peace with them, they're going to lose their slaves. So, like, why would we? Why would we build more barriers to peace by ratifying this amendment? Right. That, and then Lincoln's whole point is because because now he says the word "now" very distinctly in the film. It's like yes. because now is the only time we're going to be able to make this happen. Right. Yeah. Stop playing games. This has to end, and it has to end now, which is kind of right. interesting because it is different than how he would have felt about the issue five years earlier. So I think he yeah. had even evolved uh, into a straight-up abolitionist during his time in office. 100%. Another thing that we see in the movie as a reason that there were people that were opposed is because they saw it as a, quote, slippery slope to, well, what's next? Are right. we going to let are, are we gonna let black people vote? Are we going to let women vote? Are they, like, right. once we free all these slaves, what are we going to do with all of them? Are, are you going to let them move into your neighborhood? Or do you want them to move into your city, start taking your jobs? Right. So that was like, that was a thing they were like, well, they were both, they had the fear, but they were also perpetuating the fear. Other, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, all of a sudden having all of these slaves just become citizens, it was going to cause, cause all these problems. And it was going to make, you know, make white people's life way harder. So let's just keep them as slaves. Wow. And that was actually one of the reasons why there was such a tight bond between the uh, abolitionist movement and the women's suffrage movement is because they correctly, and this was decades before, correctly identified that, hey, even though it might seem like our fights are like on different battlefields, they are going to be intertwined. Like it's it's all civil rights. It's going to come together eventually. So let's 
start these alliances now. And so that's why you have, like, Frederick Douglass, big-time abolitionist, also big-time women's suffrage guy. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and it make, yeah. Of course, yeah, it's crazy that it's still going to be another 60 years until we women get to vote right. in, the, in the country after this film here. It, yeah, it's... It's bizarre. It's, it's this kind of this constant struggle for equality. It's I, I say on the one hand, it's bizarre how hard it has been. Like it shouldn't it just be obvious that like people are people and everybody should have the same rights. But then the flip side is, if you are already in power, why would you want to give up power? And now today, it's considered untoward to say that out loud, to, to like openly like, why would I want to give this group access? Because then that's less access for me. You're less chance of liking that power. Back then, you could openly say that and it was okay. You could just straight up say, right. but we're the white guys. We want to let the non-white guys in charge. That would be ridiculous. We're already in charge. Yeah. Why would we let anyone else come also come play? Right. I do like that scene, too, where Tommy Lee Jones' character is talking about, you know, I believe in equality before the law, nothing more. And that's like, they're trying to get him to say, like, no, you think that black people are equal to white people, which at the time would have been like this massively radical, right? like hardcore abolitionist idea. Even abolitionists didn't go that far. Right. Right. We talk about the spectrum that has, you know, anti-slavery, then to abolitionist. Well, yeah, then is equal rights. Then is, no, they're actually equal. Right. Yeah. But then if you look at the amendments that come right after the 13th, though, that is... That is the next step. So no, the Fourteenth right. Amendment makes it, it is it's a you know equal citizenship, and then uh, the Fifteenth Amendment is they give black well black men uh, they give them the right to vote. Right, right. So like the <laughs> the people that were saying, oh well, if we free the slaves, then we're going to have to make them citizens and give them the right to vote. Like, yeah, they're not they're not wrong. They were correct in saying that, but. Like that's a good thing. <laughs> like oh, that was a good right, thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like when they're when they're when they're saying like, oh if, yeah, you, you know what what's next? Are we gonna we're gonna make them citizens? Give them the right to vote? It's like yes, actually, those are the very next two things we're gonna do with the next two constitutional amendments after this. Right, and it, it makes me think of you know talking about uh, any oh maybe like some more socialist minded programs today where like free education and stuff. It's like well if we're gonna forgive all this college debt, what's next? Just everyone goes to college for free if they want. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we want next, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lincoln then, a few months after he gets this big victory, he gets taken out. Like So talk about how that all came about. Yeah, so Abraham Lincoln, at the time of his assassination, it's hard to imagine now just because of how revered he is in the current day. He's almost like not even seen as like a, a human like he's almost seen as a, a like a deified yeah. figure in a, in american life he's joined the founding fathers he's he's the only post founding times to be deified like the founding father yes yeah. yeah and almost almost even more so well that's a good point right i mean it's like george washington is like the you know he's considered you know the, he, like he's he's the founding father and then after him, I would say even before all the rest of the founding fathers, it's like Abraham Lincoln is like the yeah, only other yeah. person that is at that level of deification in American culture to the point where even when you learn about Abraham Lincoln in history class, it's only the good stuff. No one ever talks about the stuff like you were talking about where he's sending Confederate soldiers to fight right. Native Americans or, 
he's uh, having journalists arrested because they're critical of the Civil War, mm. or he's like, you know, prosecuting uh, newspaper editors because they're publishing stuff that that he doesn't like and he thinks is going to be like hurtful to his cause. Which, in his mind, he was saying, or he suspended uh, the writ of habeas corpus. He was like doing all these things that are like in his mind, and honestly, like morally, he was probably correct that these are things that were necessary and the ends justified the means. And yes, I have to, you know, suspend some of these rights and suspend parts of the constitution in order to make this happen. But like, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily change the fact that he did do those things. Like he was violating people's first amendment rights when he was doing that stuff. Right. And then, so when you hear the line, sick, simper, tyrannous, it's like, um, yeah, that's not out of left field. <laughs> right. Sorry, which means uh, which means thus, thus always to tyrants, uh, for those that don't speak Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Lincoln was uh, assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. I think everyone is probably familiar with that, with that name, has probably at least heard it before. John Wilkes Booth was a famous actor at the time and uh, was very popular in the whole country, but um, in the South was where he did most of his performing. Uh, his family was they were all performers and actors, but he was kind of like the black sheep in the family as far as his political views. Like the rest of his family was very northern. His mm. his father lived in, in New York and was a performer there who was also a famous actor. But he performed more in the South, had more political views aligned with the South. And he was actually a witness to several historically significant events that we've already talked about. So oh, really? he was at he was at the hanging of John Brown. Huh. He was actually one of the guys at the hanging who was armed and standing by ready for an attempt to rescue John Brown. He was like there to make sure that John Brown got hung huh. or hanged. He was at Lincoln's second inaugural address, uh, which it's kind of interesting. If you, there's a picture, a picture in front of the Capitol where uh, Abraham Lincoln is giving an inaugural address. You can see like all the people sitting there. You can see Lincoln in the middle and then down like on the the bottom right corner of the picture you can see frederick Douglass is there and then if you look on the balcony right up like behind lincoln and above right in the middle you can actually see john wilkes booth's face is this a is this is a photograph yeah oh wow it's actually here let me see if i can share screen okay oh okay i've seen that picture before yeah so here's lincoln can you see my mouse yeah okay so here's lincoln here's John Wilkes Booth, and then like down here, this guy with the big hair—that's Frederick Douglass. Huh. And so like this, it's crazy that there's a there's a photograph that exists of Abraham Lincoln, John Wilkes Booth, and Frederick Douglass all in the same photograph. That's crazy. Oh, and then he was also at uh, the last public speech that uh, Lincoln gave on on April 11th, uh, 1865. He was also there when Lincoln got shot. He was. He was. <laughs> so John Wilkes Booth had been plotting originally a kidnapping of Abraham Lincoln for a couple months. So he had this plan where he was going to kidnap Lincoln and then take him to Richmond and ransom him in exchange for a bunch of Confederate prisoners of war. Uh, This was before, obviously, before the war ended. So that was going to take place on March 17th of 1865. They were going to capture him while he was attending a play at a hospital in Washington, D.C., but Lincoln ended up changing his plans and not going to that play, so their their plan was kind of foiled. Uh, but in that initial 
kidnapping plot, he had Samuel Arnold, George Adzerat, David Harold, Michael O'Loughlin, Lewis Powell, and John Surratt um, were all co-conspirators in that plot. A few of them ended up helping him in his assassination plot as well. And then additionally, uh, John Surratt's mother, Mary Surratt, let them stay at the boarding house, and she was also later convicted of her role in the plot, even though it's not 100% sure that she even knew anything about the plot other than just letting them uh, stay there. Uh, They actually made a movie about her called The Conspirator. I don't think it's supposed to be very good. Um, I've never seen it. It's like a 50-something percent on Mm. Rotten Tomatoes, Uh, but Robin Wright plays Mary Surratt in that movie. So Booth is kind of bummed out that their uh, plot doesn't work. But on April 14th, as fate would have it, Booth was at Ford's Theater picking up his mail because he was a performer. So he had mail at the theater. And he learns from some of the workers there at the theater that Lincoln is going to be in attendance that night. Um, He also hears that Ulysses S. Grant is going to be attending. And so he kind of in his head is like, all right, this is my time. I'm going to get him. I'm going to shoot Lincoln. I'm going to stab Grant. And like, this is, we can make this work. You know, the, the kidnapping plot, you know, that, that didn't work out, but this, this is going to work. Actually, in between that time, the failed kidnapping plot and this April 14th, remember I said he was at the last speech, the last public speech that Lincoln ever gave. So that was on April 11th. Booth attended and is reported as having said after the conclusion of the speech, that means inward citizenship that's the last speech he will ever give that's documented or that's that's possible he said that somebody reported him as having said okay that. okay huh wow yeah so uh april 14th he uh decides that he's going to kill lincoln that night while he does think that grant is going to be there grant ends up not being there because grant's wife and lincoln's wife were beefing at the time they oh, like didn't get wow. along so grant and his wife ended up not going lincoln was instead the lincolns were instead joined by mary lincoln's friend clara harris and her fiance a uh army guy named major henry rathbone um who i'll talk about more in a minute so john wilkes booth leaves the theater gets together with atzerat and powell tells him hey w- here's what we're gonna do I'm going to kill Lincoln. You guys need to kill Andrew Johnson, the vice president, and Seward, the secretary of state. So he tells Azerot to kill Johnson. He tells Powell to kill Seward. He goes and stages some weapons at Mary Surratt's tavern for their escape. After he does the assassination, he also goes back to Ford Cedar and pre-stages this like wooden rod and carves a little notch, I think in the floor, so that he can like pry or not pry like wedge the door shut so there's a little vest a little vestibule between the outside and like the the regular seating and in the president's box there's a little room there and so he stages this rod in that little room and carves a little spot in the floor so he can hold the door shut because he knows that people are probably going to be trying to get in after he shoots the president so he arrives at the theater after the president is seated after the play has already started he approaches the president's box where a man named Charles Forbes, who's a footman for the president, is seated and he hands him his calling card, Booth does. And so not thinking anything of it because it's a theater and Booth is a famous mm-hmm. actor, he's like, oh yeah, go on in. 
Like, yep. you could absolutely go. President would probably love to meet you. You're like this famous actor guy. It'd be like Obama meeting Tom Cruise or something like that. One hundred percent. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if if Obama was assassinated by Tom Cruise, and it's it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, of course they're gonna let they just let him walk in because it's you know the super super famous actor guy, and he's at the theater, so it's not out of place. So he goes past the the footman into this vestibule, puts the rod in so the door can't be opened. He waits there until the big laugh line so that you know the crowd would be at its maximum volume and shoots Lincoln right in the back of the head. He's using a uh, pistol called a Philadelphia Derringer chambered in 45. It's a single shot pistol, so mm. one and done. So the one shot right in the back of Lincoln's head and Henry Rathbone immediately jumps up, tries to subdue him, but John Wilkes Booth had a knife in his other hand. And he stabs Rathbone. He was expecting to have. He was expecting to see Grant in the in the in the booth with him. Right. Yeah. Expecting to see Grant. He's not there. Rathbone jumps up to try and subdue him. Uh, he gets stabbed. Basically, cut from his shoulder to his elbow, all the way to the bone. Like it's a nasty injury. Ooh. Yeah. He ends up. Uh, so let me just go on this little quick tangent to talk about yeah. Henry Rathbone. So okay. He is there the whole time that Lincoln is being you know treated in the box, and then he goes across the street with them to the Peterson house after they basically decide like, hey, Abraham Lincoln's about to die, but we don't want him to just die on the floor in the theater. So like, let's get him somewhere where we can make him a little more comfortable. So they take him across to the boarding house. Rathbone had like, he ends up passing out from blood loss. He later marries Clara Harris, the lady that he was there with. They have a few kids together. They move to Germany. He is like tortured mentally for his entire life because he thinks that the basically he he thinks that it's his fault that he wasn't able to stop the assassination he thinks it's his fault that lincoln is dead and so he's just like basically like horrible ptsd and you know like he's just he's just not right yeah yeah. he's just not right yeah he's just not right and he's he has like the anger issues and stuff he ends up murdering his wife stabs her to death and tries to kill his kids wait he's he murders the person that was in the booth with him during the assassination yes, he, in 1883 he kills his wife because he's trying to murder the kids and she tries to stop him and uh yeah he ends up being like convicted of murder in germany for killing his wife that's insane yeah you never yeah talk about the things you never hear about yeah right so back to the back to the theater box so lincoln shot rathbone stabbed Booth jumps off the stage or jumps off the box onto the stage. Onto the stage. Breaks his leg. But still like still like limps out. Like he still runs out, but he's with a broken leg now, yeah. Right, yeah. He has a broken it's one of his the tibia or the fibula. I don't know which one he broke, but it's like one of the little bones in okay. his like one of his shin bones. He is reported as having yelled six semper tyrannis, which is Latin for thus ever to tyrants. Although there are other witnesses who say, oh, he didn't actually yell anything. Some people said that he yelled, the South is avenged, or the South shall be free. Some people said he yelled, I have done it. But the famous one is Six Emperor Tyrannus. That's like the one that, right. you know, that's that even now, like that Latin phrase is kind of has been immortalized with John Wilkes Booth. Right. Even though we don't know 100% that he said it, yeah. Right. So, Booth runs out of the theater, gets on a horse, and runs to meet Harold, one of his co-conspirators, at Surratt's Tavern, at Mary Surratt's Tavern, and they flee south 
Um, and they end up meeting up with a guy named Dr. Samuel Mudd, who treats Boot's broken leg. I'm going to pause here and go back. So at the same time that Booth is killing President Lincoln, remember that Azeroth and Powell, his two co-conspirators, were going to go kill Johnson and Seward. Well, Azeroth ends up getting cold feet, doesn't actually kill Johnson, but while he's drinking, trying to get up the courage, he like is asking around like, hey, where's Vice President Johnson? Where can I find him at? Like, oh, I'm I'm supposed to go find him or whatever. And so there were a bunch of witnesses to him talking about Johnson at the same time. So it was like later on when he was on trial for being a conspirator and he was like, well, I didn't actually like do anything. It's like, okay, but like very clearly you were. You were drinking in a bar that was like right near his house and you were asking people where he was. Right. Powell actually did almost kill the Secretary of State. Which I, I, I read that too, and I was like, wait, how do we never hear about this side of it? I know. Who is David Strathairn in the movie? Like, this is a major character in the movie. Johnson's not really in the movie, but Seward is a major character. Like, almost the co-lead, not a co-lead, but he's like, this, he's like the main supporting guy is William Seward, played by David Strathairn. Yes. Yeah. So, Seward is at his house. He's in bed. Powell shows up, knocks on the door, and basically, like, fights his way to Seward's bedroom. He ends up stabbing five people at Seward's house and almost killing Seward, slashes him across the face, cuts part of his cheek off, which, for the rest of his life, Seward was scarred on his face. Yeah. The only reason that Seward, that William Seward didn't die that night is because earlier he had been in a carriage accident and had a broken jaw And he had this, like, canvas and wire, like, thing on his face to keep his jaw in place so it could heal. And the only reason that the knife didn't cut his jugular is because he has this giant medical apparatus on his face. And so he gets, like, this horrible face scar, but the knife can't cut through the wire and the canvas, and so he ends up living. But had he not been in that carriage accident and not had this medical apparatus on his face... He probably would have died. That's crazy. Yeah. And then we don't even ever get Alaska. <laughs> right. Cause, yeah. Because I'll, I'll get to that. It's, it's the same Seward, but I'll, I'll get to that later if you don't. Yeah. 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 That also, so because there was that attack on Seward, that also led to a lot of confusion, like among like authorities and then just like just people in Washington, D.C. Like, oh, did you hear that Abraham Lincoln was killed? No, it wasn't Lincoln. It was Seward. Seward was attacked. Oh, yeah. No, it was Seward, but he wasn't killed. He lived. And so there was, like, all these, like, rumors that are kind of, right. like, interweaving and stuff. And then people realize, like, oh, actually, it is both of them. They were both attacked. Right. And this other dude was asking about Andrew Johnson while he was drunk. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So back to Booth. So he gets his leg treated by Dr. Mudd. And the manhunt ensues. Like I said before, Booth was very famous. So, like, they knew mm. who they were looking for. They knew it was John Wilkes Booth. Oh, he couldn't hide. Like, he couldn't just be hiding in plain sight because people knew his face. Yeah, yeah. Right. From the movies. <laughs> there were a bunch of people that were arrested all over the country just for looking like John Wilkes Booth. Huh. They kind of had to prove that they weren't, which sounds a little silly. But keep in mind, this is 1865. Right. How do I prove I'm not somebody? Exactly. I was going to say, if I arrest you, Rich Simmons... And I say, I think that you are Billy Johnson, the guy that we're looking for for murdering so-and-so. How would you prove that you're not him? (laughs) Well, you would say, oh, well, 
take a blood sample, take a DNA test, dental records, whatever. A million forms of ID and pictures. and yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. None of that stuff exists in 1865. If you look like somebody, that's like almost good enough because it's like they're just, that's the that's the identification they're gonna have. Remember, we we're talking about who was it in uh, in gangs in New York? Boss Tweed was a Boss Tweed, the guy who got arrested, and the the identification or the method they used to identify him was a political cartoon. Oh, of him because there were no actual there were no photos of him. Yes. Oh, when he went over to Europe, Boss Tweed went over to Europe, and they used like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to arrest him when he got there. They just had a poster. Yeah. Right, yeah. There was also, during this time, there was a lot of, like, politically motivated violence for revenge. So, like, in the North, people were attacking, like, Southern sympathizers or people who they knew who had expressed displeasure at at Lincoln's policies. And uh, I watched one documentary that said there were over, like, 200 murders countrywide associated with revenge for the assassination of Lincoln, which, I mean, that's... I don't know, something, again, something that you don't think about that I had never even considered uh, or heard of before was like all of the, all the turmoil that it led to on the flip side of then people who were sympathetic to Lincoln then start attacking Southerners and stuff. They actually purposely kept the news from Union Army units in the South Mm. because they were worried that if news reached them, that they would just go buck wild and start taking out their frustrations and their anger on the, you know, southern population that they were occupying at the time. So the largest manhunt in history ensued for Booth and Harold and the rest of their conspirators. Uh, it was also the largest bounty at the time. They, they offered 50 grand for Booth, and then it was 25 grand each, I think, for Harold. And I forget who the other, which which one of the other conspirators. But basically, it's like if you if you had information that led to all three of them being captured, you get a hundred thousand dollars in eighteen sixty five money, <laughs> which is a That's lot. Insane, right? Union soldiers end up catching up with Booth and Harold at a tobacco farm in Virginia, owned by a guy named Richard Garrett. When they catch up to him, Harold surrenders, but Booth does not. They were hiding in a barn, so the Union soldiers set the barn on fire to get Booth to come out. Apparently. Booth had told them, like, he was kind of trying to negotiate with them because they didn't want to go in, just like walk into the barn and have a shootout because they wanted to take Booth alive. Right. And so, but then Booth said, hey, let me come out with my guns and we'll just shoot it out. Like, let's just do that. Like, that was his thing. He was like, he's like, I don't. He's like, blaze of glory time. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, either I'm going to get away or I'm going to die. And so let's just. Let's just have a gunfight right here. And they're like, no, we're not going to have a gunfight. We're like, come out and we're going to capture you. So Harold surrenders. Booth doesn't. So they set the barn on fire to try and get Booth to come out. And Booth does come out, one gun in each hand, but a Union soldier named Boston Corbett shoots him. Okay. Now, Boston Corbett was under orders not to shoot him. Right. But he said that the reason I shot him was twofold. Number one, <laughs> God told me to. Oof. Number two, it was self-defense because he was pointing guns at us and I thought he was going to shoot us. And so I was just going to shoot him like in the leg or the body, but he bent over to pick something up right as I shot. And so I accidentally shot him in the back of the head. <laughs> huh. And uh, he was actually... That feels a little sketchy, doesn't it? He was actually court-martialed for shooting Booth because they wanted to catch Booth alive and put him on trial. Right. Uh, but he, right. he ended up being acquitted. Actually, here's another little side note. So Boston Corbett, after his 
shooting and the the court martial, he moved to Kansas. So he has this he has this nickname Lincoln's Avenger. He's like a famous guy. So when he moves when he moves to Kansas, so in in January of 1887, he was elected to be the assistant doorkeeper of the House of Representatives in Kansas. He lived in Concordia and then moved to Topeka so he could work at the Kansas oh, okay. House of Representatives as a doorkeeper. Huh. On February 15th, 1887, uh, it says he thought that the other officers weren't treating him well enough. And so he starts chasing the other officers out of the building with a gun. And he doesn't actually shoot anyone, but he's arrested. And they take him to the Topeka Insane Asylum. And then he escapes in May of 1888 and rides to Neodosha, Kansas. And he stays there for a little bit and then leaves. And he told the guy that he was staying with that he was going to Mexico. It's believed that he didn't actually go to Mexico, but rather went to Minnesota, presumed to have died in the Great Hinkley Fire of 1894. However, there's no actual historical proof of that. So technically, he's disappeared. He's missing. (laughs) That's crazy. I'm adding him to the list of candidates for most interesting person ever. Or is he person in American history? So he he's part of the Union Army crew that subdues Booth, shoots him in the head, gets court-martialed for it, gets acquitted, moves to Kansas, goes crazy, and then disappears. That's nuts. Escapes from an That's insane nuts. asylum and is never seen again. Huh. So other than Booth, all of the other co-conspirators were actually um, arrested alive. And actually, before the month of April was out, all, all of his uh, conspirators, with the exception of one, who I'll mention in a second, all of his co-conspirators were arrested. So four of them, Powell, Harold, Azerot, and Mary Surratt, were sentenced to death, and they were all hanged on July 7th, 1865. Like I said before, Mary Surratt is like, obviously she wasn't shooting anyone. Part of the conspiracy. She was kind of part of the conspiracy, but only insofar as she let them stay at her place. And, like, agreed to hold on to a package for John Wilkes Booth the day that he shot Lincoln. And then he came by and picked it up later and then left. But she was still convicted for conspiracy to murder Abe Lincoln and was hanged with the three other conspirators. Huh. And we don't know to what extent she knew. Like, she might have known what they were up to. We just don't know for sure. She might have known, but she wasn't wasn't actively participating. She was just kind of, like, giving them a place to, to stay. I wonder if the, do we have the testimony, I'm sure. Like, did they throw her under the bus and be like, oh, yeah, she knew what was up? <laughs> that I didn't look into. That I did okay, not look into. Because okay. it seems unfair. Kind of like the kind of like the doctor, which I'm sure I get to, too. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, yeah, I'll talk about him, too. Yeah. Okay. So Mary Surratt, at, when she was hanged, that made her the first white woman executed by the United States government. Oh. So, huh. so there's that. The other four that were charged in the conspiracy... Uh, that were not executed. Mud was one of them. So the doctor, That's the doctor, right? That yeah, fixed okay. his leg. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison, but he was pardoned by Andrew Johnson in 1869. Is it true that he's the your name is Mud? That it comes back to this guy? Is that where that 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 phrase? Yes. If you do get out of here, your name is Mud. It's from Doctor Mud. I I think it is. Yeah, M U D D. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Samuel Arnold. He was charged in the kidnapping plot, even though he wasn't part of the assassination plot. He was charged in the kidnapping plot. 
also sentenced to life in prison, also pardoned by Andrew Johnson in 1869. There was a guy named uh, O'Laughlin. He was also sentenced to life in prison and probably would have been pardoned with the others in 1869 had he not died of yellow fever in prison in 1867. Mm. And then Ned Spangler, who was a stagehand, who was sentenced to six years for assisting Booth at the theater. He was just a, a kid working at the theater. That's another one that's like, how much of his involvement was even, how did he even know that he was, when he was like helping Booth leave the theater, did right. he even know that he was part of an assassination plot? Right. It's a famous actor with a broken leg leaving the theater. He's like helping him leave or whatever. Right. But it's like, I, what did he, I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. He was sentenced to six years in prison, but he was also pardoned by Andrew Johnson okay. in 1869. The final guy, John Surratt, who's the son of Mary Surratt, he ended up escaping to Canada where he met up with some Catholic priests who harbored him in Quebec and helped him make it to Europe where he joined, they call him the I don't even know how to pronounce this word. It's Z-O-U-A-V-E-S. Is it Zouaves? The Papal Zouaves. Basically, know. it's like it's like a, a military unit that's under the command of the Pope. Like the Pope's Guard? The, sorry, the Swiss Guard is what the Pope's people are. Right, right, right. Not, not the Swiss Guard. This, oh, is okay. still, this is still back in the time where the Pope had military units at his disposal mm. that he could use to fight holy wars. It, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they weren't... They actually, the I think that... That group, the Zouaves, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with it. But they were in existence all the way until 1870. But so he uh, went to Europe. He was using a fake name. Eventually, he's recognized. He flees to Egypt, where he's arrested, escapes, is arrested again, and then is extradited back to the United States for his role in the assassination plot. And so by the time he makes it back to the United States, it is... Oh, I'm looking for the date. Okay, so he's arrested. He's uh, extradited back to the United States in November of 1866. So he's extradited. He leaves Egypt in 18, at the end of 1866, makes it back early 1867 because travel was... So that all happens pretty, pretty quick then. Within a couple of years, he's gone all these places and come back, yeah. Yeah, so within a couple of years, he's back in the U.S., but... All of the charges, except for murder, the statute of limitation had expired. So he couldn't be tried for anything other than straight up murder, which he was, but then was acquitted because obviously he didn't kill anybody. He wasn't the one who actually shot President Lincoln. So he was acquitted and lived the rest of his life, spent no time in prison. Wow. You, you think you, you think he'd have like a target on his back, though, kind of thing from just like vigilantes. He yeah. lived all the way until 1916 when he died of pneumonia at the age of 72. Wow. Huh. I always keep thinking when you go off on these like these these tangents with these people I haven't heard of, and I, I always think you're gonna say like, and he's the grandfather of this famous person. Like I, I always keep waiting for. Oh no yeah, no no! I, I just keep for I that. thought that that was interesting that yeah he's the one person out of this whole conspiracy plot that manages to escape, and like the only reason he didn't spend any time in prison is because he ran out the clock. He ran out the clock. He ran out the clock, and back then murdering the president all the way up even to like the in the jfk assassination the reason it was investigated by the dallas police at first and not the fbi it wasn't a federal crime it wasn't a federal crime a crime to assassinate the president it was just treated like a normal murder in whatever jurisdiction it happened huh crazy which again i, I can see that it's like it's just a murder like it is just a murder but when you're murdering a federal right. official we need to kind of elevate that 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just I just thought that that was that was interesting that he like ran out the clock and you know spent time in this this papal infantry unit that I guess has been around since oh I looked it up it's like which way like a thousand it's, years old it's or like a long a long long time oh they, okay they were formed in 1860 the reason I thought it was a lot longer is because the papal states they uh, it was like the the unit to defend the papal states and the papal states have been around since yeah, 756 I gotcha, I gotcha. so I guess the it's not that old a group but a little a little interesting uh nonetheless so back to the assassination <laughs> uh so lincoln like i said he was shot in the head they initially didn't know where he was shot because it wasn't bleeding because it was it was like a head wound that was kind of plugged by the bullet Oof. and they thought that maybe he was shot in the body somewhere but there was no blood on his clothes and ev- eventually they did find the wound but he's just kind of like in the coma on the floor in the theater and so they take him, they're like, well, we're not just going to let him die here, but like, it's, it's not looking good. He's probably not going to make it. So they take him across the street. Mary is just losing her shit, right. obviously, right. freaking out. She keeps asking to have Tad brought in because she's, cause she's trying to get him to like wake up and talk to her. She's like pleading with Lincoln in the bed, like, just open your eyes, just talk to me. And just like we see in the movie, Tad was actually at a different theater at the time. Right seeing a play where the manager comes out, he says the president's been shot and Mary wants to have Tad brought to Lincoln. Cause she said, Oh, he'll talk to Tad. He'll talk. If you bring Tad here, he'll talk to Tad, but they don't. He's ended up just, he is taken back to the white house and, and, you know, put to bed by the staff or whatever. But Lincoln dies the next day at Peterson house. They have a 1600 mile long funeral procession where um, he's on a train and it kind of goes throughout the country oh right it retraces the path that he took before his first inauguration from springfield to washington it like backtracks that route uh, oh he's buried in springfield isn't he i think i've been there i just forgot okay yeah so mary wanted him buried at um at oak ridge cemetery in springfield illinois and they also disinterred what was their son the one that died in uh Ed, is it william Eddie, i think maybe Sure. Well, both. Eddie, sorry. No, Eddie was well, sorry. Eddie was before. You're right. Willie was in D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so they disinter Willie because he was buried in D.C. They disinter him. So him and his him and uh, Abraham Lincoln's caskets were both on mm. the train, and they have this 1600 mile long, several week trip back to Springfield, where he is he's buried today. Okay. One more interesting thing about the assassination. Yeah, we're going way long here. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. With one more one more little note. So like obviously today the president is way better protected than Abraham Lincoln was. Like he just had one guy sitting outside of the box who wasn't even a security guy. He was just like his his footman, just like a guy to to, you know, help him out. And the reason that presidents are better protected today is because they have the Secret Service, a Secret Service protective detail. Do you know which president signed the legislation to create the Secret Service. Oh man, it's got to be either like old or new. It's gonna be something. Uh, oh man, okay. I'll say Kennedy himself. Abraham Lincoln. Oh, he was Lincoln himself. Okay, okay. Signed. So he signed the legislation creating the Secret Service. At the time, it was supposed to be just a Treasury Department thing, and then it ended up being the Presidential Protective Detail stuff later on. Do you know what day? Abraham Lincoln signed the legislation creating the Secret Service. Is it the same day he died or something crazy? 
April 14th, same day he got shot. 1865. Same day he got shot. The same day he got shot, earlier that day, he signed the legislation creating the Secret Service. Now, obviously, presidents were still assassinated after him. So it's, at some point, it's, right. it, it, uh, it doesn't necessarily become a quick fix. But that is crazy. He would have had at least a little more uh, security, I guess, then, right? Yeah. Or the presidential stuff yeah. came later, as you said. The pres- presidential protection wasn't... Right, yeah, yeah. When, when, the, when the Secret Service was initially founded, it was, it was like a Treasury Department thing to investigate, like, money crimes. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the presidential protection stuff came in later okay. on. Okay. Because, yeah, we, we saw... He's just the first, uh, not the last, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and, yeah, and so the big thing, too, is you think about Kennedy, and, of course, we'll get all this stuff, I'm sure, down the line. Kennedy had obviously an extensive bodyguard with cars, like people in the car with him, people in cars in front and behind him. But that that was what they do now is they clear out whole routes and stuff to prevent like if the presidents, they know the exact route. If it's, it's either not made public or if it is made public, they're clearing the buildings like they go way yes. above and beyond nowadays uh, since Kennedy, which is why we've well, I say avoided, but like Reagan was shot. We everyone kind of forgets yep. because he lived. But yeah, and because of things like that, they continue to have pretty darn tight security. Just they're just accounting for what would a crazy pers- person with a lot of time on their hands and a lot of planning be able to do? And now we have to fight that person who we don't even know exists. And they're kind of always looking for right. that person. And I mean, obviously, since uh, since Kennedy, uh, I guess they they're doing their job. <laughs> uh, but you never know. Okay, I just had two quick notes here. First. Yeah, there's a million historical characters in the film, and we've already gone long, focusing on mostly just uh, Abraham Lincoln. But the two others I did want to mention, uh, Thaddeus Stevens is played by Tommy Lee Jones in the film, and his portrayal seems to be fairly accurate to who who Stevens was. He was a a radical at the time, because he simply wanted blacks to have equal standing to whites in society. He did suggest, as we see in the movie, that Southern rebels should have their land taken away and given to freed slaves. That obviously didn't happen, but that is something that Thaddeus Stevens uh, suggested. And they show at the end, kind of a big uh, moment at the end, is they finally pass it. He he doesn't go full left wing in front of uh, Congress there, so he just kind of says, like, nope, just equal protection under the law. That's all I'm saying here. But then he goes home with a copy of the, the bill to show his housekeeper, who he then gets into bed with. And you're like, oh, is this like his black right. wife? And so there is some speculation that, that is an accurate depiction of their relationship. Now, we can't prove it. It mm. wasn't open. He right. obviously did not have an interracial uh, public relationship at that time. Well, it probably would have been illegal at the time, right? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure. I mean, almost certainly. I, I don't know state by state. Well, we can, we'll talk about the movie Loving here, you know, in a century. But uh, so it was, again, it's hard to know. So like, I hate to say it was an open secret because even that's kind of going too far. But like, she was his housekeeper, and like even as he moved to D.C., you know, to be in Congress, or, or I don't know exactly, she was moving along with him. They lived together because she was his housekeeper. Neighbors would joke that, oh yeah, that's Mrs. Stevens, but like with a wink and a nudge, like they were kidding. So it may it may have just been that, but there's there's a decent chance that what we see in the film is like, yeah, no, they were secretly like a common law spouses, uh, but it was the 1860s, and so they had to keep it a secret. So we we also don't know though. The other one you already kind of t- uh, told the big part of William Seward, but I do want to talk a little bit about William Seward since he is so prominent in the in this film. So he had been elected governor previously of New York uh, when he was 37 years old, and 
he was a very prominent politician. So, like, and when you get to the 1860 election, William Seward was a much bigger name heading into 1860 than Abraham Lincoln, who was just this young up-and-coming guy from Illinois. Seward was actually probably the lead, one of, if not the leader of the Republican Party. The only reason he didn't get the nomination over Lincoln in 1860 is that he was considered too radical and op- hmm. openly supported. This kind of ties into what we saw with gangs in New York. Seward was pro-immigrant, pro-Catholic, not at the expense of anyone else, just because he wanted equal rights. And he was probably a little too vocal about uh, slavery. So basically, the Republican Party thought Seward was too risky, too uh, radical of a candidate. And so they chose uh, Lincoln instead. And, And again, maybe I'm reading this wrong from the film. But if anything, I would argue the one thing the film gets wrong is, don't they show Seward trying to moderate Lincoln and getting to maybe not go as far on some certain things and be like, hey, be a little more prudent. Let's not push our luck. Isn't that kind of the role Seward has in the film? That's kind of the way I remember it. it I'm trying to yeah, think. Yeah, it, it could have been someone else. But I was thinking it was Seward. Anyway, my whole point was, though, you could argue that was likely the opposite. Ideologically, at okay. least. Hey, maybe not when you look at, I guess there's a difference between ideology and practical politics. But from an ideological standpoint, Seward would have had the had the mentality of like no let's push let's push now and if it and not mm. the other way so I, I think the film maybe kind of flipped that based on who Seward was um, ideologically yeah you mentioned the conspiracy or sorry the assassination attempt as part of the conspiracy um, which I if I had heard about it I completely forgot about and that, this is the kind of stuff that makes me want to put Seward as also a potential candidate for most interesting people in U.S. history the fact that he could have been president in 1860 and was nearly assassinated the same day and then also then so he survives like you said and then in 1867 he purchases alaska on behalf of the united states which was known as seward's folly because why would you buy a barren wasteland where there's nothing valuable other than wilderness and obviously when fossil fuels were discovered up there it became uh, well worth the purchase but it was called seward's folly and of course then Seward, Alaska is named for this William Seward, and as are counties in both uh, Kansas and Nebraska. There's, you know, Seward County Community College in liberal Kansas, and that's named after William Seward. I think, uh, okay, so you said Seward County in Nebraska is named after, okay, so. Is that where your parents uh, are from? Well, Seward County, the county seat of Seward County is Seward, the city of Seward. Okay, yeah, yeah. Nebraska, which is also named right for uh, William Seward, and that's where my dad graduated from high school. <laughs> Small freaking world. That's crazy. <laughs> Always one up in my stories. <laughs> uh, and then the little note. So actually, so he got out of politics soon after. Him, him, and Andrew Johnson butted heads. Seward hated Johnson largely because. The downsides of having Lincoln replaced by a his uh, Democratic vice president was mm-hmm. Johnson was way more okay with concessions and just whatever needs whatever we need to do to bring the South yeah. peacefully back into the fold. And again, we'll, yep. we'll get some of some of this stuff later. But Seward was not having it, and and of course, I mean, Johnson gets impeached for. And we'll, we'll I don't know if we'll get into all that in detail, but the big one is uh, from Seward's point of view. There was no plan, and again, this is the biggest problem of Reconstruction that honestly has ripple effects to the modern day. There was no plan. 
They're just free now. What were we going to do? Should we come up with some, some federal plan to say like, okay, this is what, you know, the whole 20 or whatever, 20, 40 acres and a mule kind of thing or any kind of plan at all on how to deal with free slaves. Nope, it's none, zero, zilch, never happened. Largely because Johnson dropped the ball. Yeah. So. Which then has knock on effects to, because it was handled so badly, then you have people and it's kind of, it's almost like a I told you so moment, like, see? This is what happens when you free all these slaves. Oh, you know, right, society right. goes to shit. And it's like, well, no, it wasn't because of the slaves are free. It's because it, like the integration was handled so poorly. And then, th- right. but then you have that narrative and that goes on and on and on. And then right. even worse after 1877, when the federal troops are withdrawn and then it's like, then everyone just kind of left to their own devices in the South. And like, right. that's, you have to get the cake, rise of the KKK and lynchings. Right. Red lighting even in the North when when African Americans move up north and they're not allowed to yep. live in certain areas, they're not allowed to yeah. do. The, we talk about you know home homesteading, you know, and all the, all the people can get the farmland for free from the government. Well, technically on paper, African Americans were probably allowed to do that, but in reality, they would not because they would just be driven away by all their neighbors. So right. it just when you're never given a chance, and yeah, just it, again, it ripples to this day when people talk about not to get into uh, exactly what defines critical race theory but these are the kinds of things that people don't want discussed because they think it's somehow making white people feel bad it's like i don't feel bad on the i didn't do any of this but it happened and we should freaking acknowledge it and it's right and it's it's important to understand cause and effect of history is important to understand in in anything exactly but like this stuff especially just because the effects were so well the effects were so devastating and so long lasting exactly Man, well, again, this this we've been going longer on American history out here. I feel I feel like every week we're saying, "Well, this is another one of our longest episodes ever." So, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I can keep up with all the editing here. So, we're, we'll, we're going to wrap it up there. If Logan has anything else to say, I'm just going to cut him off. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you for listening. That is Abraham Lincoln and the process to get the Thirteenth Amendment to the Constitution ratified. Stay with us next week as we finally, I promise, well, I say that. (laughs) There's always going to be a little more Civil War kind of creeping back in here, I'm sure. But we'll be doing the film Little Big Man, which will take us to uh, Custer's Last Stand and the Battle of Little Bighorn. Bighorn.